Hello and welcome back to Monday Morning Quarterback, where we're talking everything from the AFC to the NFC. We're talking Mayfield and Chubb. We're talking Allen and Singletary. This is it, your football mecca. I'm the J Train, joined as ever by the Chuck Dog. Chuck, give me your thoughts. Who made the biggest hits, the biggest plays, and secured the biggest playoff berths over the weekend? I stopped watching football because uh, I won my fantasy league. Oh, that's it just stops uh, with the regular season? Yeah, yeah. We we stopped. I mean, I think that makes sense. This is my first time doing it. But, like, I feel like when, you know, they're starting to take out their main players once they are they know they're, like, locked into the playoffs. So if you have, you know, a Tom Brady or something, some nice a hunk of meat boy, and he's out for a whole game because they just want to keep him safe because he's 45 years old, then you're going to get no points. So we ended at week 16. And the Chuck Dog uh, won his very first entry into the Final Fantasy game. Mazel tov. See, Thank you. really you. came into this with a fucking, uh, uh, just wreaking havoc on the competition right off the bat. Dude, my season. Uh, I got so prepped. I, you know, you've seen, where's that? Isn't there a show, a TV show about fantasy? I mean, probably. Isn't all television, Charles, in a way? A fantasy. Yeah, it's mm. true. I I had this mm. maybe from that or something else. I had this idea that when you do the draft, like that's the most fun part of the league. You all get together with your boys and girls. You know, boys and girls, and and non-binary people who are also welcome in the in the realm of professional football, the most woke, forward-thinking, and inclusive uh, sport there is. But not not dads. Dads not allowed in this group. Hold on, that is straight up discriminatory, and that's fucked up. Are you, are you serious? No dads? I mean, I'm going to be a dad someday. Will I be allowed in your fun little fucking group? Nope. Fuck. If there's anything I've learned from Die Hard movies is that just leave dad in his drunken, stinking apartment by himself and just go do do what you do best. What is that? It feels like you're projecting well, a in very the case, specific dad image onto all dads. And I'm just saying, again, in the case that's of, worse than most. That's that that makes yeah. most racisms look quaint. What? That's so soaked in, in dadism. Yeah, dadism is one of the most uh, that that's one of the most deep set. You know, we all we fear things we don't understand, Charles. You know what I mean? Like dads, they're scary. Like dads, they're and scary. Look, hey. I was just kidding. This isn't friggin' Monday morning quarterback. That sounds like a great ass show. It's friggin' <laughs> when will it end? It's a movie podcast. We watch the movies. We start with Die Hard. Then we die harder. Then we come back with a vengeance. Then we try to live free and ultimately contend with the reality of dying hard. But this is definitely a good day to die hard. It is. Yeah. This is. And the it's best all about day. J- Jai Courtney wants his, him and his daddy are not. They have a confusing relationship. We don't really understand how they're related, but it's fine. And and the the daddy and the son, uh, by, spoiler, by the end, you call him dad. And once again, takes uh, someone takes the name McLean. It's uh, the Die Hard verse, baby. We, we we're, we're we're done. We finished it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's true. I'm I think I'm all about charts. I'm all about like charting the courses of phrases and shit. It got really intense during the Furious verse. I'm sorry for all that. But I do think you can really see the true nature of a Die Hard movie, uh, see how often people pretend not to be McLean's, how often people go by other names, how often people refuse to call John dad. Like These are all now the staple in the same way that family is what people first think of when they think of the Fast and the Furious movies. There's no way you could think of a, oh, you're calling yourself a McLean now as like one of the running catchphrases of the Die Hard verse. Yes, I like that every single movie 
is about uh, a middle-aged white guy trying to convince people that being Irish is not that embarrassing. Well, and I think that's why the second one is so bad. Because in all of them, whether it's the shitty first one or... uh, I'm not going to give anything away. I'm just going to leave it at that. The second one is the worst because it doesn't have this stress, this tension of anyone being like, I don't like being a McLean. And whether the movie's about teaching you that being a McLean is cool or whether being a McLean sucks, number two just completely avoids it and is like, oh, being a McLean rules. Everyone wants to be McLean. It doesn't matter if you're calling him dad. Everyone wants to be calling this dude data. Right. And and in, we know in real life, John McLean is a MAGA guy who shares articles about Irish slavery. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's like sort of uh, the disgusting charm of all these movies is, oh, shit, my other computer, I realized, was acting as a lamp. Can you still see me? I can see you fine. I just went to sleep, and I just want to make sure you can still see me. You look more dramatically lit than ever. It's like I'm looking at a guy from a John Moore movie right now. The tables have turned. You're usually just hidden in darkness at your office, and I'm usually just basking in a, a warm 30,000K, 3,000K LED light. I don't I don't think you would bask in 30,000K. I think you'd no, be no, sort 3, of be cooking. No, no, 3,000K. over there. Like a little strip of vegan bacon. Mm. Did I tell you how the, the, the ham came out good? I told you the ham came out good, right? Amy said it didn't come out good. Oh, okay, so this is a fucking ham update. Ham day. Boop, 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 We're, of course, recording uh, well after Crimbus, where Charles made vegan ham. So what I didn't realize is that when you make the vegan ham... It's as though your first baking process is to create raw ham. So that's why when we tried to eat it the night of Christmas, it was terrible because the seitan required a second cooking. And let me tell you, the strips of fried or pan-seared seitan ham, seitan, mwah, mwah. get a little of that elbow salt on there. Now, for the listener at home dying for us to get into Die Hard Talk, let's get into some ham flavor palettes. What are we looking for on the tongue with the fried seit ham? So, uh, I mean, the main so the main reason why it was inedible the first night was that it was like gum that somebody else had chewed for about 30 seconds, spit out of their mouth, and put on your plate. It doesn't sound good when you describe it like that. It was terrible. But when you cooked it again, it got that like crisp exterior and then a slightly chewy interior it was flavored with uh, should i give away my secrets josh should i let people make the seitan so just that everybody knows charles uh is in uh covid lockdown right now so he <laughs> is going crazy if you're wondering what the tone is this episode it's charles has been in a basement for like uh not quite a week but getting there and yeah, it's been uh, five I think, days i think you're i think you're going uh i think you're going crazy our eight subscribers know the deal. Um, my reckless, and maybe because this is going out on the on the free airwaves, I'll leave it at reckless. Coworker tested positive for COVID, um, and now I've been stuck in my basement since Wednesday. Just you know, waiting for me to know if I also have COVID, and I still don't know. I took a test on Thursday, and it has not come back, Josh. I'm uh, just. Just waiting. Right. And I'm going to take another test tomorrow. And and that's a lot of pressure to be under, and I'm very sympathetic to that. And it's nice that we can watch something relaxing, like A Good Day to Die Hard, while you wonder if uh, you're going to, you know, be a, be a statistic or a human, you know? 
<laughs> one more number, you know, on a report, uh, on a piece of paper. I want to be a human. I think you're, for what it's worth, and I'm not a doctor, I think you're a human. Thanks. I mean, but I might not be a human. I think what you're getting at is that after the COVID strikes my lungs, I might not be a human anymore, but be an ex-human, be a once-human. I don't think, look, if you had COVID and you were you had the, the kind of nightmarish response that have you know afflicted so many i think we'd know that by now so i don't know man i mean it is day five i think i was reading obsessively probably shouldn't be doing that either but i was reading that day five seems to be when people start really exhibiting most symptoms and i'm still pretty good i got a little that's the thing is when you i got the sniffle and now i'm like oh god it's the covid sniffle and this is like we used to joke about it but now that it is actually something that's potentially an option I do wonder if it's the COVID sniffle or just the regular, I don't know. What if What if Die Hard 6, they shrink down John McClane and he fights COVID from inside of a body? <laughs> that suck. That would be so good. But, I mean, right. I don't know. Would they, would they be the, the typical just like cartoony COVID thing or would it be like a CGI accurate COVID ball? Would it be a basketball with little things glued onto it? No, it'd be a bunch of Europeans in in dark suits. Oh, okay. So it'd just be more Euros. Yeah. I Russians think, are Euros, right? Or no, they're Asian. All xenophobia in these movies is expressed by European people in ostentatious outfiture. So, like, why fuck that up now? So, I actually, I don't know why I'm, I, I am going crazy. Because I, I actually want to talk about Die Hard a lot this episode. We thought... We made plans to not really talk about this one that much. So we had plans to talk about something else, which I think we're going to actually talk about today. I know last time I mentioned it, you got really angry. So I'm not going to like talk about it until you do. It's fun to, to like listen to your sweaty grip on reality. Just, you know, squeak out of your little fingers. Let's just talk about this movie like normal people. Then we'll get to the other stuff when we get to the other stuff. Well, I disagree. I actually want to start with one. Okay. I want to bring it to I one. Don't, I don't want to start with one. We've we need talking- to talk about this first. We've been talking about and one we'll the whole time. I think we need to get one out of the way before we can talk about five. Okay. I will defer to you in your fragile mental and emotional state. Well, wait, why do you not want why do you want to do that later? I'm curious. Because I think we need to establish this movie what we're talking about about five and then see how it relates to the rest of the series, as we often do. Yeah, I think normally that's a good way to do it, but I think that this whole I think this whole verse for me has been me getting to a place where I'm comfortable with my understanding of Die Hard. Okay, fair enough. Well, and I don't think Die Hard 5 recall, really makes much sense without me fully cementing my feelings on Die Hard. As listeners recall, in, in one of our more controversial episodes, Charles had a very hot take on Die Hard, yeah. which, which got emotional. We talked through it. Charles, I think, wanted to look at its politics as a, an undercutting of uh, macho white supremacist fascism. But I think we got to a point where we largely agree that the first movie, certainly in contrast to the third movie, which really directly confronts a lot of those ideas and plays them for laughs and points out how shitty McLean is, seems to be a response to that, certainly with a new screenwriter, not Stephen D'Souza. Um, so Charles did some extracurricular research and came up with a, a contemporary 2020 interview with John McTiernan that was fascinating, and I think shed some light on the entire verse. So I, I saw this this thing popped up um, on the internet. I still don't know how that works. How they did this, like these things just pop up. Like I was talking, maybe I was talking about Die Hard. It's called, the, it's called the algorithm, and, oh. and, and all of our 
our corporate surveillance world just sucks up information from every idiotic thing we do during the day. And we get this, a little gift from the gods of, of, of technology, which is a John McTiernan interview, which is, let's be honest, <laughs> even if it was on mute, John is easy on the eyes, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, this isn't got- just a... We're not just talking about an audio experience here, ladies and gentlemen. Ugh. We're talking about a big slice of McTee. I love, you get why he was married like nine times. This is the shit that I, lo- I love it when people choose to make a video for Instagram or something. And they, they either have to choose to like either look directly at their camera the entire time, which is what most people do. And it's successful because it's, you're engaging with your audience as though you're talking to someone. Or you do what Johnny McTee does and stare off into the distance of Wyoming. It is a full profile interview the entire time. He just has the camera set up and he's just staring off into the distance. And it's, I don't know, it's sort of touching. It reminded me of that Alaskan senator who had a, a, uh, an advertisement for him running for office where he just threw a big stone into the river and that was it. I don't know if you saw that. It was like 10 years ago. No, but that's beautiful. Yeah, it was it's fucking a amazing. Powerful political Nothing metaphor. Nothing else. No, no, no platforms. No messages. He just got on camera, picked up a stone, threw it in the river, and walked away. Well, I think the John McTee thing. You really see how much. Uh, you really get a sense of how McLean is part and parcel to his DNA. Yeah, because this move, this video is very much this like I am an, a cowboy out of living out of my time, realizing that the world has passed me by to some degree. Right. So I found a um, an interview, which I thought was going to be about how Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and I thought it was just funny, because it's like, Jesus Christ, how are we still talking about this? And if you actually watch the interview, it talks about all this shit that I w- we've been trying, like you've been yelling at me and I've been yelling at you about for the past four weeks, which is, what is Die Hard actually about? We understand it's a fucking Christmas movie. It's fucking obvious. Just like Jesus is a zombie and Moist sucks. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But we also learned that Die Hard is so much more through this little 10-minute interview. It is fucking crazy. I don't know if you liked his like art history intro. Or- I think it was cool to think about John McTiernan as a classicist because I think it's very easy to think about the director of Predator or whatever as like this, you know, the, 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 the coked up 80s dick-swinging commando world or whatever. To, to, to see that he really at least maybe this is the gift of hindsight, is talking about craft, the, like the millennia of storytelling, the fucking, you know, the, the cave paintings and the fire burning. And the, like, it's very funny to think about, you know, he really located Die Hard in a timeless human tradition, which is kind of, like, that was cool. It was very interesting to hear him talk about that. So I don't, I'm not going to play this whole part of the clip, but basically his whole thesis is that um, there's this French artist in the, mid i think 19th century maybe it's the 17th uh, 18th century but anyway he was like up until then all art was paid for by kings emperors what have you it was a it was the money showing you what they wanted and he, call, he used this phrase a few times the scratchers on the tomb as though like everything that was artistic was done just for the purpose of rich people to have things that they wanted which i don't know enough about our history but I, it seems fine, maybe. I don't know. I, is that? Do you think that's just some more like crazy bullshit, or do you think that's actually? Well, I mean, given that essentially we learn that he's talking about the rise of populism versus congratulatory portraiture, right? 
and 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 his discovery that populism has a double-edged blade. I mean, I think that it was he does a very good job explaining why at that point in his life he was like this is what it means to make a countercultural anti-establishment piece of art. Yeah. So and I I like it. I like his way of thinking. I do this all the time. I call it Charles facts um jokingly because I sort of do the same thing where I take the tiny bit of knowledge that I have and extrapolate truths based on just the things that I feel. So I, I, I think bought, that's what that's what that's that's the world now is that people just extrapolate everything from a single personal experience right. to make it something that appeals to them. And that's just how the way society works now. And I vibe with that and I, I jokingly do it and I know that it's silly when I do it. But like I think that's John like uh, McTiernan just basically saw this one French portraitist in the mid 1800s who was like give he his whole thing was like he was giving the nobility face to the poor and he was doing what he was painting in the way that most people before this had painted for kings and emperors he was allowing it to be just given away to anyone that would give him money and i think like so he and that this guy like undid the code and created populist art and this is where Die Hard is coming from. He sees Die Hard. He is John McTiernan is this French painter from 200 years ago. Right. So with Die Hard, he's saying, I have this ugly, schlubby guy who, against all the odds and against all the experts and against all the powerful people, through grit and common sense and homespun wisdom, essentially, manages to undercut all of these things that seemingly are our elite, which is, again uh, – uh, well, I'll let you. This is your discovery, so I'm gonna. I'll, I'll I'll keep this in your court. Okay, so let me just play um, a little clip about when Joel brought John the script of Die Hard, and this is sort of like Joel who Joel. I don't know. He just calls him Joel. The screenwriter. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him John DeBont. So he gives John. He calls him Bruce. Whatever. Okay. Who gives Joel. a shit? The screenwriter of Die Hard, the fucking fascist misogynist that made Die Hard. Well, there was, I thought it was Jeb Stewart and Stephen D'Souza who wrote it. But anyways, go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, here's, here's a little clip. Die Hard was a terrorist movie. Um, and it was about these horrible leftist terrorists who come into sort of the Valhalla of capitalism. Um Angeles and they bring their guns and their evil ways and they shoot up people just celebrating Christmas, terrible people, awful people. And it was really about the stern face of authority um, stepping in to put things right again. You know, it's it was, are you feeling lucky, punk? Remember that shot? Um, it's not in the heart, but you remember that shot. And that's the essence of, that was the essence of authoritarianism. And I kept saying to Joel, I don't want to make that. So this is, when I first started watching this movie, I was like, give me back the professor hat. I'm right, because John McTiernan was given a movie about authoritarianism, and he didn't want to make that kind of movie. And then you watch the rest of the video, and he undoes all of that. But I was like, he sees what's fascinating to me about John McTiernan is that he understands he thinks he understands what authoritarianism is because he has this whole like three minute thing at the end of this video about Trump. And he does not understand that he has made through Die Hard a movie celebrating authoritarianism. Well, I think it's it's the classic like 
white guy, middle-aged white guy who loves libertarianism because he associates libertarianism as like the ultimate freedom. When I think a lot of people who are more to the left of that train of thought see that as a false equivalency where an obsession with freedom allows like long outstanding biases and systems of repression to just continue to perpetuate without any attempt to rectify centuries or millennia of, you know, systems that have kept people below other people. So McTiernan, yeah, I think he's like, I would die hard. I'm going to show, I'm going to give you like something completely different from what you're used to. It's not authoritarian. It's, it's, you know, this is a voice of the people. This is a voice of saying that, you know, any old guy off the street can be a hero. And then inadvertently creates like a temple to white vigilanteism that 100 percent precipitates in uh, Trump's America. Well, this, this, you know, violent, stubborn, uh, gleefully ignorant and and brutal sensibility being equated to liberty and being equated to a response to, you know, again, there there are in that world. Obama was the authoritarian nightmare. And obviously the American government is the authoritarian nightmare, but you know, it, it's uh, it's funny how his efforts to create something so that was supposed to like reprimand a system of power ended up just confirming kind of the ugliest part of that system of power. And it's interesting to me that he he continu- he always is calling Die Hard a terrorist movie. He does it all over and over again throughout the interview. And he, like this is what this is one of my big critiques what i thought was like evidence that die hard one was a satire was that the uh, john mcclain is under the impression that these are terrorists throughout the entire movie he makes decisions based on this and to me that's laughable because they aren't terrorists they're thieves that's the whole point is that they're fake terrorists and everything that like the fbi does is based on the wrong information which is how they almost succeed but John McTiernan does the same thing. He's calling it a terrorist movie the entire time, even though it's a heist movie. So I, I just think it's really... John McTiernan is a really fucked up dude. And I get it. Like, as anyone who knows, I've talked about my dad on the show. Like, people born in that era... Like, he references, like, what I really wanted to make. I didn't want to make this kind of, of movie about, like, the true, just authoritarianism. I didn't want to make another Dirty Harry. I wanted to make A Wonderful Life. Because to me, like decency, de- and he has this, again in this ending of this thing, he's like talks about decency for three minutes. Decency is what we really need to believe in, and how like a working class hero, a person that isn't a part of the authoritarian structure, is the people that we need to rely on to save us from bad guys. Well, and then you think with the generational politics of say Die Hard Four, where again, like Justin Long's character being a conspiracy theorist. McLean's like, oh, this friggin' millennial with these kooky ideas, you know? And and again, McTiernan is just like one of these people from a generation that feels so beaten down by the U.S. government that let just a, a facade of politeness is all they ask out of a crumbling yeah. empire of, like, unmatched cruelty and rapacious capitalism and just the most horrific foreign domestic policies of violence and, and the, the cruel cudgels of austerity. And just, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to, to really hear someone very unironically beg for decency, which is, this, again, like a white liberal idea that has never existed at any point. No, like, I mean, conservatives celebrate the cruelty of the American state and leftists usually, you know, are pull, we're pulling our hair out over the, the constant violence 
of America that 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 is obfuscated by people like an Obama who who smiles and grins and increases ICE deportations and bombs Yemen, you know. Uh, but you have Trump, who's the rude bad man, and and, and he just spoils. He casts a stone in the river of this this completely fictitious notion of decency, which again, because. Th- that's McTiernan, generationally speaking. He's like, you know, you just let people be honest and good and speak from the heart and good things will happen. And we're at a point now in history where if you let people do that, they'll like use the N-word and set fire to like a mosque or something, you know? So like it, just this idea that, that this, this weirdly naive commitment to, to decency, we, we see from this guy who you would think is the most cynical guy in the world. You know, but even he is infected with this really bizarre notion of of the polite face of the empire, which I, I think we're so far past now with climate change, with a changing world order, with a, a nation that can't even handle a basic response to illness and disease. I mean, it, it's it's hysterical, but you know, decency. We want decency. It's it's so. I've got one more clip just to like. The irony of this is so beautiful. I didn't. I'm not going to play the whole. If anyone didn't click on that link I shared um, right before Christmas, th- it has the whole 12 minute thing. I recommend listening to it. It is the voice of a decent madman explaining his nonsense to you for a long time. Um, but here's his here's his ending where he talks about how Chris this became a Christmas movie because of the true joy everyone on set felt for making this movie. This was a movie where the hero was a real human being and the people of authority, all of the important folks were all portrayed as kind of foolish. And sort of the whisper got around that this was a movie that had escaped where the content had escaped and was in control of the paint daubers. And there was a joy in it. Because we were, you know, all the scratchers on the side of the king's tomb and we had changed the content. And that is how Die Hard became it. We hadn't intended it to be a Christmas movie. But the joy that came from it is what turned it into a Christmas movie. And that's really the best I can tell you about it. Right. He releases he releases the id of a white guy yes. who's like, this entire world is corrupt and me with my gun and my gut, I'm going to go out and fix it right. with murder. And and I'm going to be, it's going to be a beacon of light in a dark world where an angry white guy fixes things the only way he knows how, the, the truest way he can. And McTiernan, again, it's so funny where he's like, this was so liberating at the time. Right. Joyful. The, <laughs> the way he uses the word joyful and like. That is why this became a Christmas movie because, and that's why he used probably "Ode to Joy" as the running refrain throughout. As the basically the theme song is of Die Hard, he felt like, and he was honestly like, I will, I will never put on the professor hat again because I know that it is a false symbol that I should never ever try to reclaim. But I think after talking to Amy for a little bit after watching this movie, I, do, I like the the earnestness with which they try to put up such reprehensible characters it i i realize now it is not satire but there's no way to do it without it coming across as like some sort of self-parody and it just it becomes so like ridiculous that 
everything that he, John McTiernan thinks he's doing a great job of like, oh, wow, look at this true working class hero. It is so fucking awful that it just becomes laughable. Yeah, I mean, th- this is definitely an Emperor's New Clothes situation. Yeah, so you're right, there's, man. There's no way to watch. There's no way to watch Die Hard in 2021 at this point and not see the violent white ethno nationalism that has really finally come out into full focus from its marginalized position not that long ago. And before we move on, because I want to move on, but before I do, I want to say the one thing I've been trying to say since the first episode, which every time you said I've con- I'm confusing my own feelings with textual evidence, and I just want to say this to you, and you can just not respond. You can do whatever you want with it. But in the same way that you feel at the end of this movie that he's like surrounded by people cheering for him, which I don't feel, but that's fine. That's your feeling. I find the scene where he comes and sees his wife again for the first time. He's covered in blood. He's covered in explosion dust. He looks like shit. And his wife, to me, the cut to, to Holly, she looks disgusted and full of pity. And that, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. That's like that was may, like my main evidence for me thinking this was a satire was that moment. And I realize now that it was just an accident. But if you watch that scene again, I just feel like there's so much, like there is for me so much evidence that this movie does not like John McClane. That they feel like he's a pitiable, awful, disgusting wretch. Right. And then, of course, I think that's why three feels like the breath of fresh air, which, you know what, we'll do this episode all jumbled up. Right now, I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is my favorite of the of the series because it feels like McTiernan has a sort of come to Jesus moment after Rodney King where he realizes that a white cop cannot inherently cannot be this representation of Dude, like liberty. That, that, that is so was. I was just about to say that is that he puts this whole thing about. This is in like an anti-authoritarianism movie, and yet he makes his main character a cop, and not just a cop, a cop that doesn't actually play by any rules to keep people safe, but he's like, his whole thing is like, oh, I keep, my, my boss keeps telling me I shouldn't fucking destroy people all the time. Right. And like, that's his idea of creating a non-authoritarianism is creating basically a, like a Nazi. Well, and again, when, McT- when McTiernan rests control of the franchise back, his McLean smells like shit, is obviously an alcoholic. His wife will not talk to him. And everyone's like, bro, you're a fucking piece. Like, you're a wreck. You're a fucking wreck. So, yeah, I think we finally stumbled over uh, maybe the, the – by better understanding McTiernan's journey, I think we, we get a much clearer picture of where Die Hard begins and, and uh, how fascinating it is that, again, two, like RoboCop 2, it just triples down – on thoughtless, witless, empathyless conservatism with no wit or, or or depth to it, and three really ultimately is the is the the watermark changing in the franchise because in four and five he's once again coping with the fact that his interpersonal relationships are dog shit and that he just alienates people through his weird sociopathic need to murder. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I really like five. Um... Wait, do you want to do rankings now and then just sort of talk five afterwards? Is that what you wanted to do when you said you're doing this all jumbled up? Yeah, here's where I'm at right now, and, and I want to know what you think about this. Okay. Uh, I am currently at three, one, five, four, two. Okay. And my ranking is five, three, four, two, one. Five is your favorite and one is your least favorite. Absolutely. Okay. I fucking loved this movie. That's fascinating. I found this to be fine. It was. I thought it was fine. I had no. I, th- I thought the plot 
was a, kind of woefully mishandled, but it, all in all, it was fine. And you seem to love it. I loved it. This is like this is for me why franchises are so successful. And again, I'm not even going to put any like consequence to what the filmmakers wanted to do at this point. It's all mine, and I'm going to do. Like I don't care why they made this movie, but for me, this has. I think the best action sequences. I'll I'll, I'll rephrase. I think this has the best car chase sequence in any fucking movie ever made. It works for me so well. I think it feels very real, very visceral, does shit. None of it is CGI, basically. I think it outdoes anything that the Furious Verse does, and I would watch that scene every day of my life if I wanted to. I, th- I think it fucking works from start to finish. It's fucking perfect. From those three BMWs blowing up to the very end, I I loved it. I'm, I'm, that makes me happy. I'm happy you loved it. I, I will say, uh, I, I, as I mentioned to you on the phone earlier, I it, it is in a post car accident world. I find a lot of these scenes very hard to watch. Yeah, uh, but I did. I think the delightfully extravagant driving the Range Rover over yeah actual traffic was the kind of like dick swinging you want to see from a movie like this. It, it reminded me. Uh, I was talking about the Matrix Reloaded with some friends today, where it's like. They built a mile and a half of freeway to shoot that that thirty minute like that like why not swing for the fences and that scene felt like yeah like this is something I haven't seen before yeah where I, you know and I think what was especially surprising this movie came out what like two thousand thirteen yeah um CGI was huge like this was like I know Transformers was earlier but like this was like the Matrix all that shit was pushing out for especially for this type of car violence to do it with CGI and to have a scene that's like 10 minutes long where I couldn't detect any CGI. It, I don't know. It does give like a much more visceral watching cars actually like drive into that giant pipe of, of concrete. I don't know. There's just like, that's to me, there's a joy in watching in the same way we were talking football earlier. There is a joy to watching large things hurtle through space majestically. Yeah. And then crashing. I think, uh, you're right, because I think in, in two and four, uh, the, they both suffer from a lot of bombast, but not a lot of weight. And this certainly gets back to like almost every individual action feels pretty weighty, and I admire that. And again, let's get into the the uh, behind the camera guys, huh? What do you say? Wait, what now? Where, where are we going? We're going behind something. We're gonna go behind the camera, my friend. Well, how do we Come do on, it? Step I, back here. I've been trying to do that for a while. Okay, this movie is directed by John Moore. John yes. Moore is Irish. So, you know, there's that. He has a terrible Wikipedia photo. It's really bad. <laughs> I cannot uh, stress enough. He's wearing the red and white stripe motorcycle jacket of the middle-aged da- paunchy dad who definitely does not ride a motorcycle jacket. It's like the least cool leather jacket possible. It's like something Nick Cage would wear in a, in a National Treasure movie. It's not great. But uh, his movies, I would say are all pretty much confined to the B genre. He made Behind Enemy Lines, a movie I loved as a kid, yep. Flight of the Phoenix, The Omen remake, which I have not seen and have honestly little interest in, yep. uh, the Max Payne movie. Dude, can we just halt there for one second? Yeah. I love Max Payne. My, maybe my, I almost, because I'm quarantined in this basement, uh, I, I installed Max Payne 3 and then realized I couldn't pay, play it with a controller, so I had to pivot and do something else. Those these are my fuck my favorite games of, the, uh, of my childhood. The Max Payne movie is so fucking boring. It is. I don't. Did you see it? 
No, I have not played the game Max Payne. I've not seen the movie. Now, look, you ask me, do I want to see a Mark Wahlberg movie? You better fucking believe Hell it. Hell yes. But for for a video game series that's based on like slow motion, like that basically took the Matrix bullet time and made a whole game based around it. Uh, this movie has one scene of bullet time and like almost no action. It's just Mark Wahlberg walking around in like gray cities with a trench coat. I mean, honestly, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should watch it again. Uh, I rewatched um, Prometheus today. And I actually really liked it. Not really liked it. I, I liked it a lot more than I did the first time. So, I mean, you know, I think maybe the 2010s, early, like late aughts, early 10s, maybe I just wasn't in a good mood. Mm. I'm finding that I'm really enjoying this shit. So I should go back and revisit some pain. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, John Moore struggled greatly with his alcoholism during the promotional mm-hmm. duties from Max Payne. He's been sober since 2008. And he made A Good Day to Die Hard written by Skip Woods, another guy with... An amazing Wikipedia photo. He looks like a damp Mickey Rourke, kind of. Um, <laughs> you got to love a, a damp man. <laughs> I just went to it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like Isn't a, that exact? Yeah, like a damp Chris Farley or something. R.I.P. But nobody. But he has like the pug face and like the tough fighter's chin of a Mickey Rourke. That's but true. But like in a, a drinking bloated kind of vibe. Really bad hair. It's awesome. He wrote Swordfish. Oh. The legendary Swordfish. You, you know what? I, this is embarrassing, but it, it may make sense. It came out in... 2001, I was a high school boy, and basically the only thing I know about Swordfish is Hallie that... Berry's boobs. That's it. That's all. And then yeah. he gets like his cock sucked while hacking. Is that right? Is that yeah, there's a legendary scene where Hugh Jackman <laughs> has to hack with a John Travolta holding a gun to his head while Halle Berry blows him, which is still one of the great moments in, in life. That, that Jesus, happened. 2001. Swordfish is a not a good movie, but yes, like you, it got... I I wore through that VHS tape back Was that in pre, pre-planes or post-planes? That's a great question. Oh, it, was, it was released in 2001. Yeah, there's there's no way it was made after. June 8th. Some of the last of the good times, you know? The, those are the good days. I feel like before the planes came and crashed into those buildings, you could make a movie where John Travolta puts a gun on your head and Halle Berry sucks your cock while you're hacking. Well, it's after yeah. the planes? No way. It's just not going to well, happen. It's funny to think about the different kinds of conservatism we see in action movies because in a way, Die Hard is antithetical to the entire Chris Nolan perception of the world, which is all about shadowy cabals and elites controlling everything, but like gleefully so, you know? Right. It's very interesting. I, 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 it's certainly, if you look at like Die Hard and The Dark Knight or whatever as like landmark movies before and after 9 11 about how we imagine action and violence, it's really interesting. The, 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 it, it couldn't be more stark. No, I'm not talking about Mr. Tony hey, hey, Stark. I was going to say, let's leave that for uh, another episode. Yes, the Iron Man himself. But yeah, so Skip Woods wrote Hitman, X-Men Origins Wolverine. A so movie I've never that, seen uh, Hitman, and I actually want to. It's got uh, directed by that French guy who I like. And it's, what else was cool about it? Well, it stars Timothy Oliphant in a bald wet cap, yeah, which is fucking amazing. Bald, bald elephant. And I think you're talking about Xavier Gens, uh, who uh, he did Frontiers. Did you see that fucked up? I did not nightmare? see Frontiers. No, I saw that in theaters with my old roommate. It was uh, I don't know. We used to drive down to Boston. We lived in Portland together. We used to drive down to Boston every once in a while and go Bastard. see a couple of movies at the Kendall yeah. Cinema. Well, I'll tell you this: I'm reading the description of Frontiers. Mamma Mia! Yeah, dude. It's uh, it was that yuck. One of my favorite names for uh, a film movement. The New French, oh shit! Extremism or whatever. What's it? Yeah, the new French. Oh, I sound like such an asshole. 
Fuck. New French Extremity. Yeah. I, I've seen mar- I've seen Martyrs, of course. Of course you've seen Martyrs. Uh, Martyrs is awesome. The Ordeal is maybe my favorite. But I, I love that whole brief moment of extreme torture porn. It was like, I don't know. I'm not really sure I like the term torture porn because the whole point of it was not pornography. It wasn't satisfying to watch. It was fully disgusting. Like the whole point of watching a, a Gens movie or that Belgian guy's movie is not to be like, I want to go jack off to this now. It's like, I will never come again. Yeah, that's fair. I know some people who like fetishize like Trouble Every Day, for example. Yeah, I fucking, that movie fucking rules. I, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's really that's good. It's my claim to shame. Well, you've got a lot of them. It's true. God, don't get me started. Um, but yes, we can't go down. We can't go no, to no. Paris right now, my friend. We've got to focus on more important things. Yes, Skip Woods. He also okay. wrote. He also wrote the A Team. So I don't know. It's it's definitely a funny collection of behind the camera folks. It's a little yeah. hard to imagine they're quite as classicists in the same mold as the McTiernan. Uh, but yeah, so it's a completely different vibe with this movie. Uh, now we have to talk about the tagline. Yippee Mother Russia. Oh, so good. Mother Russia. Now, good. Is, is it good? So good. We we like yeah. Yippee Mother Russia. That's good. No, we don't. It's, I mean. Okay. It's. He doesn't even so say it. I, I'm going to just sort of come out with a brief thesis of why this is my favorite. And Yippee Mother Russia is a part of it. Uh, to me, in the same way that you like a smelly wifeless john mcclain i like the exhausted completely aloof really not that in touch with how he can actually do anything anymore john mcclain and you're talking about the plot i like that this plot starts with john mcclain hearing that his son that he hasn't seen in a few years is like on trial and his whole plan is to go to the trial and like he's just i don't know he seems so burnt out so effectless he's just like well it's funny because he's he we get back to like die hard two level john is just invincible and that's just how we're playing it which is fine yes because i like the emotional idea of like he can murder and survive anything but the one thing he can't murder and survive through is winning back the love of his son and so that's <laughs> and he's so de- defeated is how i describe absolutely in much of this he seems emotionally just comatose from the, which is a weird yes. choice no for, I, and this is it like this is I'm, I'm stopped thinking about choices i don't give a shit anymore the directors are the directors the screenwriters are the screenwriters i don't know what their choices were but for me john having, morris john morris skip woods and skip woods go ahead we're all we are all ourselves and not each other uh to have him mumbling nonsense mostly talking to himself the entire movie looking like shit just sort of being exhausted and and I love this idea. Like so many, so many reviews. I was reading reviews from when it came out. Everyone's like, "Wow, we didn't want a superhero John McClane." Part of his charm is that you actually see him bleed and feel feel hurt, feel sad sometimes. And it's like, I love the extreme. Now he is invincible, and he still is sad, still is broken. There is no healing. What's actually wrong with John McClane? And that's why, if you actually extrapolate that to him being completely unpunchable, unshootable, unkillable. It actually makes his sense of loss so much bigger for me. Yeah. Like what actually is is the problem with John McClane? Isn't that he's good at not dying? The fact that you can like, fine, who cares? That's his superhero. Well, his super problem is that his wife hates him. His kids hate him. And I like it in this one. Unlike the fourth one, there is no real happy ending. Like he, he and his son are still 
where they started. You know, they talk to each other. He sometimes calls him dad. He sometimes calls him John. But their relationship is not repaired. They're just going to go do something else. Well, hold on. He does fully going he, he, the evolution from calling him John and McLean ah, to dad. I'm glad you brought that and up. Taking his name. I mean that that this is a dad sandwich. The very first time he sees his dad, John, he calls him dad. When he when he is driving away with the Russian guy, and John McLean stops in front of his car, he says dad. And then for the rest of the movie, he calls him John, 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 John. And then at the very end, he calls him dad. And that is the dad sandwich. That was beautiful. That's Thanks. one of your better bits. That was Thanks. good. Okay. No, we've got to talk about Jai Courtney. We saw Jai Courtney last in the Terminator verse in Terminator Genesis as Kyle Reese, a performance we did not like. That's true. Um, did you I, – I didn't dislike Jai Courtney per se, but I find him to be – very anodyne in a series that kind of thrives on big performances. He just, he has a, a blandness to him that I find a little kind of a turnoff. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he excels in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I feel like um, having just watched Prometheus, he actually reminds me of um, the, who's the actor in Prometheus? Let me just look it up real quick. Um, There's a bunch of them. Yeah. But the, you, you, when I say his name, you'll, uh, what you'll, Sean Harris. Idris Elba Logan Logan Marshall Green he was the guy in Upgrade I haven't seen Upgrade okay you should see Upgrade it's really good um anyway he's like the boring Logan Marshall Green sort of like the white guy that always has a very short haircut with a like sturdy head guy I'm looking at a photo that head looks rock solid yeah hey there's a photo of him in a Mets jersey nice wait which one uh Logan or or yeah Logan I'm looking at Logan in a yeah, Logan in a Mets jersey. That's cool. Great. Maybe you guys have gone to the same game together. A fellow Mets maniac. Oh, maybe pre-COVID you guys were fucking sitting in the same row. He's a bit of a hunk. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. And I think I like this is, I don't know if I've seen Courtney in anything else, but again, to sort of just like foil John's complete exhaustion, I like Jai's complete like stoic boredom i don't know there's a very boring relationship between them i like that that relationship is boring and silly and sort of thrown in sort of in the same way that like when we were talking about um zeus and three how like his story really works because it's a part of such a large like everything is exploding and everything is crazy and like the real like sort of truth of racism in this country is sort of hidden there in the center of that movie and it actually seems more real because it's cake, like everything around it is so outlandish. I sort of like how like mundane the family story gets because of the just craziness of everything around it. Yeah, and they can bond together over just like murdering dozens of people. And they're just like, let's go kill some bad guys. Let's like it's like almost verbatim. They basically say that like nine times. It's like the one thing they can agree on is that it's awesome to fucking just take life. Do you think the term where do you think the term bad guy came from? Is that a diehard like original? My dad says it all the time, and I feel like he got it from. Die wait, Hard. wait, the phrase "bad guy." Yeah, where do you think that came from? You can just quick research. Type, type, type. Um, yeah, bad guy quotes I got first, and I, you know what? Yeah, Plenty of that's that. not really what we're looking for. We're looking for bad guy origin. Uh, yes, I'm looking at. Let's see. Um, it's like, it is an idea that like Johnny McTeese and and people like my dad just like think of the world as good vi- good guys versus bad guys. Okay, the first known use of bad guy according to Merriam-Webster, is 1914. Wow. that See, that is much like... It's pretty late. 
given the history of humans. It's relatively contemporary. Is there like a graph charting its 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 peak, and could we sort of maybe just like line that right up with 1988? Are you asking if we can somehow find evidence that magically corroborates this idea you just had? Well, here's immediately the thing. in the moment. So no, John, probably not. In the same way that John McTiernan saw some paintings and then came up with a grand. This is this is a Charles Fact original right here. Just like I'm like, huh? I wonder if Die Hard coined the phrase "bad guy," and I just you know that's the truth now. That's a Charles Fact. So it looks like according to the CollinsDictionary.com, there is a chart. Oh, fuck yeah. And the, fre- the frequency has really – so basically from a low in the early 70s, it's, it's a, it has risen yeah. dramatically. But certainly it's use in what's, 88. What's 88 looking like? 0.04 of recorded usages. I'm not really sure what that's in relation to. <laughs> it's 0.04 something. 0.04? That's tiny. But like nowadays, for example, we're now now it stops in 2008 for some reason. This is not a very good graph. I don't know if we can really rely on this. I, I appreciate that you know when a graph is good and when a graph is not good. It seems like this graph, which ends in 2008, indicates that it has only risen since 1988. Was there so it's a, not like that was a, a particularly like robust year for bad guy? Was there a sharp curve from like 1985 to 1990, or is it linear? Uh, a sharp curve? No, it's not a sharp curve. It goes no, up. Uh, it's pretty linear. Pretty linear. Yeah. Okay. No, never mind. Take it back. Well, well, since it, it, it dipped a little bit, 91 goes up a little bit, then it goes into a bit of a trough, and then it, goes, it gets back to it in 94. Interesting. So, you know, what does that say about America? I don't know. I'm really not sure. We're not sure. I have we'll no have idea. ask John. There's almost no way to discern actual information from this horrible-ass graph. So that, I think that's, that, that's why the, this one is, for me, very fun. I think this has the best villain since Han Gruber. Really? I, I found that entire plot to be a, a, a real non-starter for me. I really liked the carrot guy. He impressed me multiple times. The dancing fellow? The dancing fellow, the guy that when his henchman makes a bad decision just goes, hmm, interesting. Here, I don't know. I yeah. just liked, I liked his vibe. I liked that he was sort of, you know, cheeky and atypical, but was menacing in a, I don't know. I feel like he was perfectly cast. Who do you? Th- what, who's that guy that's in that commercial now for Honda? I don't know. He's like, oh, this is this is a Honda. Who's that guy who's in Sideways? And then he was now in, in a Honda commercial. You're like, wow, this is a Honda. Wait, Thomas Hayden Church? No, the other guy in Sideways. Paul Giamatti? Yeah, Paul Giamatti. I see. Oh, this. the the ads where he's uh, like the financial advisor to Rory Culkin. Yeah, and he's like, wow, this is like this should be a, a Porsche, and he's like, no, nah, it's just a Honda or whatever. It's a wonderful ad. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I think Paul Giamatti might have been more successful as the carrot guy you're just insane you're just saying insane shit right now what do you mean i think paul giamatti would be a great russian villain they cast thankfully an actual russian guy so why don't we just like take what is a gift Josh, in the series where they've actually cast someone i am an american oh god i after watching tenant i have realized that the true oh sorry hold on hold on russian hold on. bad guy is in the form of kenneth branick um ready is actually serbian so I actually said something very insulting to him by calling him Russian. I apologize. Jesus, more insulting than I'm I sorry. ever did. I swear. Okay. Well, okay, we're getting towards the end of the episode here. I really do not want to talk about the plot of this movie. It was very confusing, and I didn't no, really that, like it. Well, it wasn't confusing. That's why I think it's brilliant. It's that brilliant. Oh my god, Josh, sit back. You're high. You're you high in your own. Charles, we are fifty quick... minutes in. I don't want to talk about the we're entire plot. We're just got to oh do MVPs. God. No, I want. There's so much other stuff to talk about. 
Well, I just, I'm just going to say this briefly. I like that you think there's a bad guy. He is a bad guy. You think there's a, a guy that's being harassed by the bad guy. Oh, wait. He turns out to be a common thief, just trying to steal some money. At the end of the day, I like that that motif is carried over into this movie, that the guy that they're protecting the whole movie just turns out he's just trying to steal money that he lost in the Chernobyl accident. Yeah, I, I think I admire the reach, but the the big turn, I was like, oh, boy. It just felt like it felt like a real two or a four situation. I can't remember. I'm just all blending <laughs> together in my head. Just like, there, there's like a big twist. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I, I just didn't give a shit. I mean, it's like a three situation. It's like a one situation. Yeah, but but those are no, those are so different. I don't know. The guy that you think is just one thing, he turns out to be a thief. Right, but in, I like that all these end up being heist movies. In those movies, you know, those guys are stealing in control the entire time, and that gives okay. it a level of fun. You I like this being like con- controller. Yeah, right. So let me say this. Um, uh, in the movie, Yulia Snigir plays Yuri, the, the 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 Russian billionaire oligarch's daughter. And this is interesting. You heard this? She is a master of chess. Hell yeah. As a teen, she could have been a pro chess player. What happened? She decided to go to Moscow, go to school, and become an actress. Wow. The true, I mean, basically acting is... It's like playing emotional chess with the the hearts and minds of a nation. Yeah. Checkmate, they say. Exactly. Uh, King's Gambit, they say. Uh, I believe it's the Queen's Gambit. Knight Uh, to Rook 4, they say. Mmm, castling. Uh, But yes, I think that's super cool to watch a movie and know that, uh, you know, you're like, oh, the, the pretty Russian lady. And it's like, well, guess what? You reductive sexist pig. She's a chess master. Man, I remember... I read that article about that show, The Queen's Gambit, and it was like 10 pages about how they couldn't believe it because she's so goddamn pretty. Yeah, that's a huge problem with uh, pretty women. You just can't believe they can do anything. <laughs> I know. It was like, <laughs> wait. God, I'm not. Pretty women drinking coffee. That's just the shit I've been scrolling through my time in the basement. Hey, this was almost a tight 90. Yeah. I, th- I think, and that this is why, again, I bring it back to my rankings. Three for me is too long. The last 30 minutes of three, I'm out. Oh, I love that. I, I love wanted that it shit. to end, and suddenly they're in Canada. They're flying around on a helicopter. They're on a boat. This is like 10 minutes into the movie. He's in Moscow. They have a big car chase. Hold on. You think them going on a boat in a port city is more of a reach than this movie, which moves I don't from think Moscow it's a to reach. Chernobyl? I'm saying p- pacing-wise, I want him to... Uh, just suddenly be in Russia. I don't. I don't want them to be like talking about why they went to Canada, and suddenly have to figure out how to go to Canada. I, I just like. I, I don't know. Third one, the third act for me, or maybe it's like a fourth act. It just. I want it changed. That's all. Yeah. It's it's not quite as successful for me. Okay, so Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the first returning character since Die Hard Two, which is interesting. Wait, like, uh, she was in this movie. Uh, the director's cut, she's not in. The the theatrical oh, cut, she is in. That's the one I so saw. I saw. I saw her. Oh, what, what what was her scene like? She's in the beginning and the end. She talks to John McClane about going to Russia and finding Jack, and uh, she's there at the end of the land, and she embraces them. Wait, can you talk to it's me beautiful. about the end? Because for me, the movie ends with him saying, "John, do you seek out bad shit, or does it just happen on by accident?" And then he goes, "It's always you know, friggin' happening." You know what, John McClane? I've been trying to figure that out my whole goddamn life. And then it like pans to the sunset and cuts to black. Oh. So how does yours end? I really like that ending. They, they went back to the U.S. and... Uh, <laughs> Weird. I don't know. Why? Again, I, I, 
I, I wasn't really as taken with this as you were, so I, I don't think I what was. What did they talk about? I don't know that much. She's just like, it doesn't, who fucking cares? Doesn't I matter. care. I want to know how your movie ended. Oh, they, they do a Shakespearean monologue. Uh, so Justin Timberlake was considered for John McClane Jr., which I think would have been amazing. That, I think, would have gotten me on board. Really? I would have loved to have seen that. Now, here's something interesting. This is the only screenplay in the entire saga since the first one that was specifically written to be a diehard movie. That's really interesting. Again, I was reading these reviews, and most of them are like, this doesn't even feel like a diehard movie. And it's for me, the irony is just wet, because it's like, so far, none of these movies have supposed to have been a diehard movie. So that, like, even just the criticism itself is ludicrous because the whole series is based on just stealing scripts from other sources. But, like, to me, this does. This is, like, the first movie since 3 that's really felt like a John McClane movie. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, tone-wise, they, they, 4, the, the nastiness of 4, I think, really takes me out of it. And the fact that McClane is, is back into, like, his, his, his emotional... The the not my daughter sort of like eh, okay buddy thing is gone thank God so that's kind of nice I don't know that's why maybe why I like this who knows I have this theory maybe another Charles fact I have an idea that for me this is the greatest uh, Die Hard movie because the makers of Die Hard movies don't know what women are other than like people to help men out and the fact that this barely, the only woman character was a villain. And they didn't really have to do much with her. Like, there is no wife. There is no daughter. And that's where, for me where all these movies have gotten really disgusting is when they try to have John have a relationship with a woman in his life that's important. But no, but it's dope in three because it's about a woman being like, no, like, John's a bad husband. Fuck that. Well, and the female cop is like, movie. what, a, a beer is normally consumed internally is still one of the best lines of the entire franchise. And that's from three. So, so good. Yeah. That's my point is that three doesn't have a woman on screen. Right. In the same way that my version of five didn't didn't they did not try to make a woman character, and I think that's really one of their huge failings is trying to make a, a woman character in this franchise. There's a female villain in three, and there's uh, other cops who are women in three. Three is the best one. Okay, were you so, just listening to me? Uh, no. So okay, interesting great, fact about great. this movie: this was the first movie produced by TSG Entertainment, which that's really you know, fascinating. It is really fascinating. I love this. They made Logan. What okay. else did they make? Uh, well, so we're talking about, you know, uh, they made Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. Oh, shit. Okay. We've, we've watched some of those movies. We have. We watched a lot of these. Also, if you want to talk about fucking franchise movies, Mamma Mia, uh, Kingsman Secret Service, X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, Ch- Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. We can't wait to dig our we teeth gotta, into that. we got to do the Alvin verse. The, the, I don't know. It's, I, I, it's one of those production companies that I always keep an eye out for. Uh, you know, they did Jojo Rabbit, uh, Terminator Dark Fate, which, of course, we saw Ford versus Ferrari. Not good. But, they, you know, uh, Maze Runner, The Death Cure, that's a fucking TSG joint. So this kicked off the TSG renaissance. Oh, wow. I feel like, you know what? I, I poo-pooed you out of the gate. I'm sorry. But, yeah, you know what? In the same way that people are, like, gaga over A24, uh, TSG's good. And uh, for the my fellow nerds out there, yeah, Deadpool's a TSG joint. Here's the thing. He knows it's a TSD joint, though. That's the thing. Their logo rules, because I, when Logan came out, I, I was working in a movie theater, and I watched it, like, literally a dozen times. But that's the guy shooting the arrow through the axis. Oh, I, that's I love so that. hard to do. Well, it's a it's an animation. He doesn't really do it. Still, it's hard for the animation. Yeah, it would be hard for the animation. So before we, uh, we, we did our ranking, let's pick our MVPs. Then we'll talk about what we know about the future of the diehard world. Um 
This movie I found a little tough to pick from because I don't really know if the best part of it was the supporting cast. So I'm actually going to do a rare move and say John McClane was the MVP. I think it, it's it's well calibrated. It's interesting. It's it's not in four. It ranges from lazy to uh, monstrous. And in this, he just seems like I, I really bought Bruce in this. And he does not always bring his A game at this point in his career. And I, I think he was the most compelling person on screen most of the time. Yeah. And I, I think what he realized was that rather than trying to bring his A game, he should bring his like C or D game. And it is really good. And uh, I also was going to give... I, I think you're right. This this is a movie for me which works because the when they try to make the, the secondary cast big, like in four and two, it just flops if it doesn't work. And like John's back, everyone else is like making sure the story holds together. But the true sad narrative, the grumpy guy in Russia who doesn't want to be there, who makes fun of people who don't speak English... Um, that's our John McClane, and I also think he's the MVP of this movie. Yeah, I'm happy we can see eye to eye on it's that. Also, it was also funny. I was reading some reviews from t- 2013 about how, like, man, what is this going after Russia? What is this the 80s? And it's funny to just read that after like Trump getting elected in the last fucking four years of my life have been about Russia. Yeah, uh, basically a new Cold War. Yeah, God, I was I was making Moscow Mitch jokes all day for some reason, but yeah. Democrats uh, stridently pursuing war with Russia definitely kicks ass and rules and it sticks it to the orange man and good for them. Uh, I got a question for you. Okay. Do you think on January 21st, once Biden hobbles into office. Oh boy, this is uh, what? Well, I'm just curious. He's been the orange man for four years. Do you think he will continue to be the orange man or will he just become a man again? What the fuck? Oh God. Yeah, he'll probably be orange still. Okay. You think so? I mean, do you think his orangeness is based on okay. his power? Okay, the future of the Die Hard series. Okay, so when the production was formally announced, Bruce Willis said, look, five, not quite enough. I would like to do six, a right. sixth John McClane movie to wind it down. Wait, are you Let, holding a plum? I'm holding up a stress ball, which oh, okay. is uh, useful when I record with you. Um, in fall of 17, Len, the great Len Wiseman of four says uh, he's casting for – Young John McClane in a self-penned origin story called John McClane. I was going to draw on the Die Hard Year One comic book series. They started to work on that, but uh, it, uh, it that is a big question mark. In 2008, Lorenzo de Bonaventura submitted an updated treatment called McClane, and it's going to be about the 70s baby. We finally learn <gasps> how how John McClane became John McClane, so intermixed gritty. with present day stuff. Because Bonnie Bedelia still has not come back. So maybe in six we can get back Bonnie Bedelia. Um, Toby Maguire joins the production team in late summer 2018, which is like, <laughs> what? what the fuck could that conceivably be? What would he be? <laughs> I hope the villain. Uh, that would be amazing. That'd be so sick. Anyways, long story short, this is in production hell. Okay. Uh, it seems like it's very big question marks right now. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead said she would. She's not against returning as Lucy Gennaro McLean, but suggested that because of scheduling, she has a lot of doubts it'll ever get made. Die Hard was removed from the Fox imprint through at least its 2021 slate after Disney's acquisition and senior management shakeup, which saw the dismissal of its theatrical distribution executive, Chris Aronson. The production was later canceled outright in 2019 after further consideration by Disney. In lieu of reorganization of both companies, the media giant is said to be rebooting development of McLean for streaming as a television series. Mm. 
So long story short, there's nothing. There is nothing in the oven right now. It sounds like a long, like it's certainly now that it's been almost a decade since this movie. Uh, there's no, there's nothing in sight right now. Well, I mean, we did. It is on the Wikipedia Die Hard film series page. Uh, Die Hard, 1988. Die Hard 2, 1990. Die Hard with a Vengeance, 1995. Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, 2007. A Good Day to Die Hard, 2013. Die Hard is back, 2020. We mentioned it a few episodes ago, and we oh, never, yes. <laughs> we never did me. it. The two-minute yes. commercial. I forgot the two-minute uh, Energizer commercial for batteries. Yes. Uh, or it's, no, it's Die Hard batteries, Josh. Excuse me. Die Hard batteries. Um, Silly so, boy. So we should have done it. Maybe, maybe we'll no, do it's, it as it's a Energizer because he calls himself the Energizer Bunny. No, I thought it was for the Die Hard car battery. No, no. It's, it's, energ- it's Energizer. Oh, God. See, if we'd watched it, we would know. Let's watch it right now. You want to watch it right now? Great. Yeah. Let's watch it right now. What's it called? Uh... Die Hard just, is back. I just stick Die Hard battery commercial. Okay, I'm Die Hard is back. Okay. The two okay. minute version. Me. Yeah. All right, and we're back. We just watched the Die Hard wow. battery commercial. Wow, indeed. I would say Bruce seems tired. Everyone seems, a, but a not lot in of a big good, tired energy. <laughs> not in a good way. Like I don't know. I mean, it had both Argyle and Theo were back. That was much more exciting for me than watching. So here's John McClane loves this franchise. And I think he loves it for all the wrong reasons, much like a Johnny McTee. I think you're talking about Bruce Willis, but I love that you just called him John McClane uh, casually. I mean, that's what I mean. He, this is Bruce Willis is John McClane. I think he loves this franchise. Um, he really was shooting. He really wanted to make the sixth one. Like that was a dream he had. And now that it's gone, he like seven years later, he's like, ah, fuck it. It's being a fucking commercial. So all this leads up to the inevitable question. Are we asking when will it end? And I think this is honestly one of the harder moments we've had over the uh, over the show. Yeah. This is very hard because this franchise is built on just having a character you don't really like do shit you don't really like. And when the movie is doing that for ways that make you engaged with it, it's great. Like, I think five and three are both good movies. I would like to watch them again. And when they do it, badly they are some of the worst movies i've ever seen so i think i am asking when will it end i think ending this on a good day to die is the like phrase that they're punning like basically like to me this is the song this is the ending part of the song like this is the good moment to die because he realizes he will never have a connection with his family he will always be a sad murderer and i think this is his exit this is a fitting exit for john mcclain you know it's a complicated question for me i feel like i'm a little you know, having four and five both be him as a parent trying to rediscover relationships with his children. If there was a convincing way to really interrogate McLean again, I don't think I would ask when will it end. I love three. I like that three takes him out of those paradigms, puts him around people who are, are just like this fucking guy. What is his deal? I, I, I like that so much more than the familiarity that four and five bring to the character. I, I would like to see a world where. There's more of a passing of a torch and less of a, I just want to be a good dad or whatever. So I don't know. It, it's deeply complicated. Certainly the idea of Len Wiseman leading a production is not exactly the vote of confidence I need. I don't know. Can I can I invoke a rare, like, can I vote present on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very, I think that's a good call. And I'm, 
Yeah, it's it's very hard. I'm not asking it because I'm sick of it. I'm just, I mean, I think this could be a good finale to the franchise if this were like the full story of John McClane. I sort of like that he was interrogated in three. And in five, they're just like, you know what? Here he is. We're not going to have people telling how much he stinks. We're not going to have people reminding him to call his wife. We're past that. There is no need to interrogate a John McClane. He is a very sad, dirty murderer that now all you need to do in 2013 even is to just watch him and just feel the sadness of a John McClane. I guess if there was like a Logan-style deep, brutal examination of McClane, that would be the coolest possible ending to me. But if it's treated like a legacy project that just wants to see one more spiking of the football, that would suck. But if there was like rickety old McLean confronts a life of just murder and trauma, that would be awesome. So. Yeah, I agree with you. This didn't confront any of his past. It just sort of like showed him in a very present state of being tired and mumbly. But I would I would totally be on board with a Logan John McLean. Even if it was a, a rare crossover event between X-Men and the world in which Nakatomi Plaza looms brightly on the L.A. skyline. Beautifully put. Okay, Charles, a long episode. We can now close the door on the, the, the hard verse. What is next as we venture forth into 2021? What is the first series we'll be doing? I know the answer, but I'm excited. I'm going to let you. I'm going to loft the ball up, and you're going to hit it out of the park. Wacko. Charles, what is the first new series of the well, new year? I got a year? question. I got a question for you. You asked me a question, uh, I asked you a question. Okay. Are you hungry? Yeah. I could eat. Uh, are you are you feeling a little hungry? A little peckish? When's the last time you ate, I, Josh? I'm feeling, I'm feeling peckish and yet also as though I would like to play a game. Yeah? Yeah. You feeling hungry We're doing the Hunger Games. We're doing, We're hunger, doing games. hunger Games. We're doing Hunger Games. Uh, pack up your, your, your Russell, sa- your duffel bag sack. And Whatever. Get, get a bow. Get into the child war because, baby, we're doing the whole child war. We did the Maze Runner series an eternity ago, and now we're going back to the iconic teen dystopian series, The Maze Runner. I know so little, so, so little about this. I watched the first movie partially on television in the Caribbean on a family vacation and know next to nothing about it. And this really made – this this is a big fucking deal. So, baby, get hungry. Get, get me. fucking hungry. Uh, still, Maze Runner is, I think, the best franchise we've ever done. So you know what? Maybe going back to some old young adult dystopian bullshit will get us back into a mood for... I mean, this is going to be good. Phillip's, I'm just waiting for three or whatever when Philip shows up and I think really changes the game. That's my memory. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. We're going we're gonna to do some... Some some fucking hungry shit. So get ready. Don't eat. Don't eat till next week. Uh, f- uh, subscribe, review, etc. Fo- uh, follow, uh, pay for our Patreon show. Why won't it end? It's very good. We do all kinds of stuff. We watched Tenant on my phone. Tenant and other cool stuff. And uh, let's. Uh, how about we both we do a yippee kaye Mother Russia to sign off. I think that would be really fitting. Okay, this is Josh and Charles uh, wrapping up the hard verse. So yippee kaye Mother, Mother Russia. Russia. <clears throat> Yeah, That's German. <laughs> <laughs>